Digital Launchpad on Business Radio. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Carl Ulrich. I'm a professor at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, where I teach innovation, entrepreneurship, and product design. I'm thrilled to welcome our next guest, Stephen Lease, who's the CEO and co-founder of Gooder. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Oh, Carl, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. First things first, let's let's get the, the name and the URL right before I have you give it a Give us the pitch. So it's Gooder. That's G-O-O-D-R. So G-O-O-D-R.com. If you're someplace safe and at a web browser, you can check out Gooder. All right, Stephen, give us the elevator pitch for Gooder. Yeah, we make $25 active sunglasses for anyone. Basically, we make fashionable sunglasses for athletes, super affordable, um, and we're all about having fun. All right. Well, why, why does the world need another pair of sunglasses? Yeah, I mean, um, well, uh, do you remember how much you paid for your last pair of sunglasses, Carl? Uh, Stephen, I have, I have, my eyes are so bad that I pay like $1,000 <laughs> for my glasses. And in fact, I was just thinking on the way back from lunch, I, and, I, and, I, and I, in the last few days, I've lost that pair somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can get prescriptions put in gooder. So we don't oh, actually can. do, yeah. you can, we don't, we don't do it, but yeah. most eye doctors will do it. And everybody here does, but basically- we started in the run space and we, um, I fell into running late in life and realized running sunglasses have a huge problem. They're ugly, they're expensive, and they're over-engineered. And so the brief to start the company was we want to make sunglasses that were fun and fashionable, affordable, and um, all performance, but without the extra um, BS. So that's what we did. And, and we really carved out this niche, niche around affordable eyewear. $25 price point, but specifically in the active space. So for runners, cyclists, crossfitters, golfers, et cetera. Okay. So let's take one, one of those, one of those sunglasses you might see on a professional athlete. They're, they're, I don't know, Oakley, whatever. They're a few hundred bucks. <clears throat> yeah. what, 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 what are you getting for a few hundred bucks? Like what's actually the functional difference between that, those sunglasses and, and, and gooder? Well, I mean, Oakley makes an amazing pair of sunglasses and, they really do. I think what you have to decide is if you're a runner or a golfer or an athlete, um, do you want to pay that price point? Right. And do you like the style? You know, ours are fun. They're vibrant. Mm-hmm. And that's really, that's really the difference there is, is are you, do you like the brand name Oakley? Do you um, like that style? And are you comfortable paying the price? Um, but they make, they actually make a really good pair of glasses. I, I, yeah. I don't fault anybody for buying them. They're just not my style. Yeah. All right. And, and I guess the other question would be, I, I can go in the CVS probably and get a pair of sunglasses for under 10 bucks. I don't know what they cost, but something like that. Yeah. Like that. So, so what, wh- how'd you decide 25 was the sweet spot? Yeah, for sure. You know, when we first um, had the idea for the company, we asked a um, hundred people that we knew I was in a huge run group, like, Hey, if you could blue sky, a pair of running sunglasses, what would you do? And we heard the same five things categorically, Carl. We heard um, uh, look good, number one, be affordable, number two, not slip when you sweat, number three, not bounce when you run, number four, and protect your eyes. And the most insane thing about that, that order is the fifth thing that everybody says is what sunglasses are made for, which is eye protection. And we listen, like ours are UV 400, UVA, UVB 400. So it's the highest form of sun protection. They're all polarized. But we leaned into the price point and the look first. And we, from the beginning said, hey, 
we thought if 20, if we can make a, bring a product to market for $25, we would take the decision-making process out of it. We would take it closer to a, a commodity. Somebody would be like, oh my God, I love these $25 sunglasses I'm in. And so that was just, that was a number we identified early on that we felt was like the sweet spot um, for, for the product. All right. So I, I get it. I mean, it's a, it's a compelling proposition that if you get reasonable functionality, but uh, don't even have to think about it price, then obviously yeah. there, there's, there's a market there. What, what has to happen on the business side to actually deliver on that proposition? A $25 yeah, you know, sunglasses. Yeah. Well, what, you know, one of the secrets of eyewear is a, a lot of, um, eyewear is just really high margin. So a lot of places are just, um, you know, making a lot more profit per model. So like, that's just, that's just the reality of the, uh, eyewear world. I was listening to your interview, um, with the CEO governor of Everlane. And I think he actually said something similar about how there's just a reality of if you're a smaller company and you're, you can run a leaner business, you can bring things to market more affordably. So that's, that's for sure part of it. But from the beginning, since we knew we wanted to hit that $25 price point, when we started going to manufacturers and originally we wanted, you know, silicone inserts in the nose and it was, well, mm-hmm. that's a new tool. That's, that's more, that's going to have to press us up to $35. So it actually forced us to say no to a lot of things really early on. And, and that's kind of how we did it was making that the goal and, and saying no to things that got in the way of that. Yeah. So let's go back to the first point. Uh, I, I, I would agree that on a gross margin basis, those somebody's making a lot of money. I mean, a, a $200 pair of, of sunglasses probably has a gross margin. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm guessing that the cost of goods on that pair of sunglasses is like 40 bucks, maybe something, something like that. Maybe, maybe even less, but, but overall, Oh, even less. Okay. So, so, yeah. okay. We're on radios, but you're signaling on zoom that it's even less. less. Yeah. For yeah, sure. I less. mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's like, it's like a hundred grams of plastic, right? So how much can it possibly be? But overall those brands and those retailers are not making crazy amounts of money. It's not like they're wildly more profitable than other consumer goods companies. So there must be something about the manufacturing, probably more specifically the distribution channel that that requires those high margins. Uh, wh- yeah. Why do they have to have margins like that? Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, you know, there's a well. If if you can re, if you have a increased demand year over year, and you're charging two hundred dollars per pair, I mean, why would you lower your price? Right. Uh, and and I, I believe that you know we we have, we run a really healthy margin business. We're very profitable for being a six year old company, and we. You know, we say no to a lot of things, but to answer your question, I think companies just can do it. Um, especially if you're a luxury brand. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it: if you are an actual luxury brand, you can't sell for less than a hundred dollars. You're cheapening your brand, right? And I think that's a that's a real reality. And then also, you know, um, Oakley and Ray Ban. Um, there's a couple of really big players in the eyeglass world, Exotica, that owns Sunglass Hut and, and a bunch of these brands, and so they they have an amazing business model so i think they're i think they're able to um charge more just because of the the brand recognition but i don't know the answer in full transparency uh my guess would be a combination of they want to make more money and also 
uh, they probably spend considerably more on advertising than we do too. Yeah, I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that. I know you know the the cosmetics and beauty industry looks pretty similar as does most yeah. fashion, and one of the reasons they have those ridiculous margins is I, I think there are two reasons. One maybe three, now that I think about it. One, there's a a fairly complex distribution channel with high margin retailers, right? That's one. Um, The second is they have to spend a lot on creating demand for those brands, creating the panache uh, and sizzle around those brands that, 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 that creates uh, desire. And and I think the third is uh, in, in fashion, there's a lot of unpredictability about which SKUs are actually going to sell. And so you end up with marks down, markdowns and obsolescence and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of those supply chain related costs as well. Um, so I, I think, sure. yeah, I think in the aggregate, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so building on that, how do you get to the customer and how do you avoid those costs? Yeah. So, you know, one thing is, we are, I would say this, like we're not a lifestyle brand. You know, the, the last thing the world actually needs is another lifestyle brand, especially a lifestyle eyewear brand. Uh, I'm a, I come from the school of thought of if you're speaking to everyone, no one's listening. And so we really went in first off to the running world and we're hyper-focused on runners. You know, we want to make fashionable sunglasses for them. And and so when you know your customers, like when, when you know, to, like you're detailed that we're selling to runners, well, it's easy to market them. We know where they live, like run groups, run shops, marathons. And so you're able to, um, it's a smaller net, but it can be really direct. So you can save, there's a lot of cost savings there. And, and so we, uh, we do that. Like we spend, we spend really, really widely. So we started in a run and then in about 2017, we realized we had, we came to a crossroads of, are we a run brand or are we an eyewear brand? And we decided we're an eyewear brand. We know how to do eyewear really well. And so then we, um, uh, we, we, we have run gooder Then we launched beast gooder, which is speaks to CrossFit athlete, then bike gooder, which is, you know, cyclist then golf gooder. And then this last year we launched game gooder. And so we really have five verticals where we can really market. We know the retail game there. We know where the, where we know where the consumer lives. And so there's not a lot of waste in our marketing and initiatives because of that. And, and those pillars hold up the overarching brand now, but you know, we, we, we did a lot of just grassroots up marketing to, to get us to that place. Uh, and they're just, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of just spending really wisely in our business. Yeah. So I want, I want to go back to something you said, because I think there's a, a lesson embedded in there. You, you branded the company Gooder, which is a fairly generic brand. I mean, it could have, in the sense yeah. that it, it could work for snack foods as well as fashion, right? So it's, it's flexible in that respect. Of course, one of the challenges of flexibility is it also doesn't speak directly to what you do. So you have to communicate that to the customer. But let's go back to that decision point. You could have, at some point, you started out in running, you could have then gone on to do uh, running shoes, right, or apparel. And, or you could go across, you could go horizontally to other verticals like uh, mountain biking and skiing with eyewear. And you decided to go horizontally. Uh, but it always in the mm-hmm. always in the active uh, uh, space. Uh, give us the logic behind that behind that decision. Yeah, for sure. You know, when we first launched the brand, we were uh, a sunglass and apparel company. And you know, my 
we just didn't feel like there was a run brand out there that spoke to us of fun. So we, we want, we did both and we sucked at apparel. We were awful. <laughs> we spent more on our original apparel bry than our sunglass buy. And we just learned really quickly. We, we don't know the space. The space is highly competitive. The margins aren't that well. And so we pivoted early on from, um, to a running sunglass brand. And so that kind of always was in the back of the mind. And when we came to that crossroads, just like you said, we're like, well, if we're a run brand, do we make hats? Do we make water bottles? Like what else do we do? And we realized we know a lot about eyewear. We're really good at eyewear and people love us. We'd have, we'd won some awards at that point. Like we'd run a runner's world magazines year of the year. And, and so for us, it was kind of like, you know, a, a, a bunch of things like, we know sunglasses, we already had pivoted once away from apparel. And so um, we took all the lessons from run and started to go to other um, athletic spaces. Great. Yeah, I, th- I think the insight there is that you got to look at what your distinctive capabilities are and and take those capabilities in other places where they could continue to add, add value. So uh, actually, let me just remind our listeners, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm speaking today uh, with Stephen Lease, who's the CEO and co-founder of the sunglasses brand Gooder. Um, so, so Stephen, let's talk a little bit about what is hard about this, as you build up these capabilities to do eyewear in, in running. And then you said, okay, we can take these capabilities horizontally across some other uh, categories. What do you have to do to, to make an eyewear brand? Uh, what are the pieces and how, how'd you solve them? Yeah, for sure. So once we kind of had the brief of we wanted to uh, live up to the customer's five requests that I was talking about, which was look good, uh, be affordable, not slip when you sweat, not bouncing your run, and um, sun good sun protection. Basically, wrote out a brief. We you know chose the the classic kind of like Wayfair shape from the beginning and mm-hmm. uh, went to. I had no manufacturing experience in. Uh, in China and basically went to Alibaba and this is no Mm -hmm. joke emailed about 130 manufacturers Mm -hmm. and out of that 130 about 30 got back to us out of that 30 10 actually spoke good enough English that we could work with out of that 10 three would sample for us Mm -hmm. and out of that three one was just clearly um, the best and you know our opening order was 1800 units it was the smallest they would it was the smallest order they would do they would do 300 of six colors and, um, you know, now we buy a container at a time and we're their biggest customer. Yeah. So let's go back to that. I, I should teach product design. And I, actually next week I do the module on sourcing in China. So I've had, oh, nice. I've had a fair bit of experience in this. You know, what I normally tell my students is for most goods, most complex goods, you got to get on an airplane and, and go visit some factories. But I offer this caveat that if you're if the tooling costs are, are low enough and you, if you can sample the product, the proof is in the pudding. If they'll send you samples, you can probably get away So with, with just that. So did you ever make a trip or did you just rely entirely on, on the samples? Entirely on the samples. We lucked out for what you said, two reasons. Yeah. One is tooling is pretty affordable in, um, in eyewear. And we weren't reinventing the wheel. You know, there was no IP or anything. Um, and so Tooling's inexpensive. We got lucky. And then we, I was there the next, the following year at the Hong Kong Eye Fair meeting our manufacturers. Uh, but in hindsight, I would recommend somebody do that first. I actually think if you could, I've had friends 
want to start companies and I'm like, hey, if you're sourcing in China, probably there's probably a giant um, trade show in Hong Kong, figure out when that is and go there. And yeah. it probably, we, 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 I, it, we lucked out, but that's, I, that's actually what I would advise to Carl is to do yeah. that. Yeah. You know, the other, the other, I think, important point for our listeners is you were in a fairly mature category and you said something really critical as you went with a standard uh, style, yeah. a Wayfarer style, let's, let's say. And so where did you put, what did you do to put your brand imprint on the product? What were the attributes yeah. that you differentiated? Yeah. For sure. Right. So we looked at it for the lens of an athlete and I was like, all right, so we wanted these to be simple. We wanted, we didn't want to do multiple sizes. So, our, you know, we have five models and it's, you know, multi, like multiple SKUs, but it's, you know, unisex one size fits most, but we said, all right, we're making sunglasses for runners. So we had the look down and uh, we didn't want them to bounce. So we did a super snug fit and really worked on the fit. Like had it kind of like, um, um, uh, and then we didn't, we didn't want it to slip and we couldn't afford silicon inserts. And so we had them create, uh, this rubber grip paint coating where they just like paint out like a rubber yeah. grip, um, yeah. coating at the, at the end. And then lenses are kind of lenses. You kind of tell them what you want and there's a price break. And so we're, you know, that is lenses are the, are the most expensive thing, usually the most, right. most I wear. And so, but we really, we, we said, Hey, we want to, we want to make it for runners. We want to make it fun. We want to, um, uh, we want somebody to be able to like haul ass down a mountain trail and then go on a date uh, with the same pair of sunglasses. Mm. And so that's, that was, we kept looking at it through that lens as we were working through the, the design. Okay. So let, let's uh, shift gears here a little bit, Stephen. So I, I was looking at your, your LinkedIn and I saw that you literally majored in snowboarding in in college or, or or maybe you just made that up i don't know so no, yeah. <laughs> tell, us, <laughs> tell me whether you just made that up and and give us a little bit of the sense of the journey that was back in 2001 2002 yeah yeah so you know, the other thing important thing about our brand and for the listeners is if you see our content it's um unmistakably us it's super irreverent it's very absurd it's unlike anything you've seen and so just going back on your last question a little bit the other way we differentiated ourselves was being the fun brand. We wanted fun and fashionable sunglasses. Yeah. And so we felt like we have to, our goal is to create connection with everything we do. Like we want to put a smile on someone's face. And so that's a huge, that's a huge uh, important piece. And so my history is I graduated high school in 2000. I went to Colorado Mountain College for a year and for sure rode like a hundred times uh, uh, in Steamboat Springs. And then graduated college in 2005 and I graduated in marketing. I just happened to go into the field that I had a major in. That's dumb luck. And, um, I, everybody good or six years old, Carl, and everybody thinks it's an overnight success, except for it's the sixth company I've either started or been a part of starting. And the other mm. five were failures, you know, some successes, uh, that didn't work out. Um, some just kind of plateaued quickly or dived quickly. And so, I caught the bug early. My dad uh, was a golf course superintendent, but always had a, a second job, always had a landscape company, always was doing stuff on the side. And so started working when I was 12. I really struggled with school. And when I got out of school and all I had to do was work, I didn't have to go to work and school. I loved it. And so I started off running my family's landscape company, then taking information there and starting a water treatment company. And basically did a couple of different iterations of, of starting a company failing 
And then in 2008, um, the current company that we had uh, was selling, it's so weird, $100,000 water treatment systems to golf courses. And mm. when the economy crashed, golf courses weren't buying those anymore. And I took a step back and went back and worked in corporate America, went and worked for Easton Sports, which um, biggest manufacturer of baseball equipment in the world. And worked there for four years. I wanted big brand experience and got that and came out of that on realizing I want to do my own thing. And so just started back up again, consulted on the side. And, and my kind of thought was once you fail at one or two companies, it gets really easy. And so you just, <laughs> you do it. And, and, and Gooder, Gooder was a success and um, it wasn't a success right away. It was a slow burn, but early on you could see the potential. And so just grinded it out and uh, got very lucky along the way too. All right. So, and it's, it's, it's too bad. We're not doing this with, with video as well as audio, because your, 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 the whole appearance is pretty impressive. You've got a quite psychedelic shirt with a, uh, <laughs> with a contrasting, with a, 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 a contrasting, uh, what is the pink flamingo flamingo, flamingo on, yeah. on there. And then there's a, a parrot, and a quite tropical scene behind you. It's quite, it's quite the look. Uh, so very impressive. Yeah. And I think it's probably genuine. I don't think you're just making that stuff up uh, because of the brand you're in. And I think actually there's probably something about authenticity here as well, which is you got to find a, a, a business that really resonates with, with your natural proclivities and natural passions. So it sounds like you, you found it. That's good. For sure. For sure. And, you know, sunglasses are fun. Um, like the, the, the tropical shirt you see is the, pretty much my entire closet. And uh, one of the funnest things we did this last year is we did a whole tropical, a whole tropical theme line. And uh, we, we made a bunch of button up shirts. And it was one of those things like we lost money on them, but it was basically, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, everybody, I've been waiting six years to get my own tropical shirt. So we got to, <laughs> we, we got to, we got to do, we got to do it for this long. So, uh, yeah. uh, for sure, this, th- this is me, uh, uh, through and through. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still wearing to this day. It's now almost 20 years later. I still have unopened t-shirts from a failed venture in 2003. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I, I totally get it. Um, so, okay, we probably have time for a couple more questions. I, I was impressed by some of the collaborations and tie-ins that are described on your website. And I, I sort of have the same question. Did you just make this stuff up? Did you really do something with the Rolling Stones and with Batman? Uh, tell, yeah. us, tell us a little bit about, the, about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, once we kind of started going down this path, we um, uh, started reaching out and wanted to do some licensing. So we have the licensing deal for the Rolling Stones. So we've done Rolling Stone glasses. I've been doing it for the past year and, uh, and we'll continue to do them for the next year. My, my dad was a huge Rolling Stones fan. They're my favorite band of all time. And so when this was a reality, I jumped on it and is a little departure from some of the other stuff we've done. But uh, I basically wanted to name a pair of sunglasses after my dad. And I got to give that to him for Christmas. So it was a Rolling Stones pair. So you can imagine that was a very special thing for me and him. Yeah. Um, and then got, yeah, we did licensing deals with Warner Brothers. We've done Wonder Woman stuff. We've done Batman. Also, we've had three shoes. Fortunately, we did one a running shoe with Saucony. We just dropped two with Reebok, and uh, and we have some uh, some cool stuff planned. But yeah, we've 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 carved out this niche of like cool and fun. And so, if we look for other brands that that are like that, and we we reach out, we try and work with them. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Um, so I also noticed in your bio that you do 
you do your own podcasting uh, podcast called Culture. Talk talk a little bit about maybe you can give me some advice on on podcasting, how to do it well. Um, but then talk a little bit about some of the some of the things ways that you personally get involved in marketing the product. Yeah, for sure. So Culture Gooder is our podcast, and we um, everybody here can kind of do a ten percent time project. So work mm-hmm. for a nonprofit, do passion projects. And mine a couple of years ago was. I want to share a culture with the world. It's, we have a really unique culture. Everybody that comes here is just blown away by the onboarding, like how we teach people to have adult tough conversations from the beginning. We, um, uh, we make it okay to not be okay. We, um, we're just really into culture. And, and the, the benefit of running a successful sunglass brand is that we can do all the culture stuff I've always wanted to do. And when it was time, launched a podcast. We just basically talk about how we run our company and and how we do it. And and we we have our own in-house production team, Carl. Um, it's one of the ways we save prices. We don't outsource stuff to agencies. And uh, I have a huge background in marketing. And so it was easy to have them support our uh, our podcast. I mean, the real key is to get an editor that has auto-tune because I sound way better on that podcast than I do in real life. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. What do I need? Uh, get it, get it, you, you know, get a really good editor that has like an auto editor with so auto tune. Okay. Yeah. So, so I sound way better uh, on the podcast than I do in real life. Ah, oh, you sound pretty good. All right. So Stephen, we're out of, we're out of time. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Tell, tell our listeners how, how they can follow you and, and, and learn more about Gooder. Yeah, for sure. If you want to follow me, uh, Stephen Lease, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-E-A-S-E at, uh, uh, on Instagram, uh, anywhere, pretty much I have that or my website, gooder is gooder.com or at gooder on Instagram. And if you just search us, you'll find us. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the time for all the fun. All right. And that's gooder, G-O-O-D-R, gooder.com. All right, Stephen, thanks so much. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. That's all for today. If you missed any of the last hour, feel free to check it out on the SiriusXM app and be sure to follow our channel on Twitter at SXM Business. To follow me, you can go to my website, ktulrich.com, or follow me on Twitter at ktulrich. I'm Carl Ulrich. I'm a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, and you've been listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.